If you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. When I was in college, I had a, a mentor, someone older and at times, believe it or not, wiser than I. And there was a time when, man, I'd hit a rough patch. Can't remember all the details. I just remember I was very discouraged. You guys ever get discouraged? You just need somebody to talk to. And he was busy. He just didn't have time for me, it appeared. He said, man, hey, look, I can't connect today. I need to be with my family. I tell younger guys that now myself. But he said, I can't connect today. But hey, man, look, read Romans 8. And I said, well, man, I'd like to connect. But hey, read Romans 8. We'll get together. Next time I followed up, man, he couldn't connect. But man, read Romans 8 again. I said, I did, bro. He said, read it every day for a week. Read it every day for a month. Read Romans chapter 8. I said, man, I need a new mentor. I need somebody who actually hang out with me, right? I was discouraged. I didn't need some Bible verses. But I did what he said. And I'm not going to stand up here today and say it's some silver bullet, some slam dunk, some magic pill that made everything better. But I read Romans 8 every day for 30 days. And God began to turn over some things in my life. I love Romans chapter 8. Let's look at the first uh, few verses. We'll put it up for the slackers who didn't bring their scripture today. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. We're just going to read the first uh, few verses. Somebody asked me a moment ago, they said, Robert, are you nervous? And I'm nervous not because there's folks in the balcony. I'm nervous because my mama's on the front row. (laughs) She's right there. And just to tell you a little bit about my mama before we read the Bible, she's always been a distant authority figure that's been hard to please. So... (laughs) Anybody believe that? (laughs) Just the opposite. My personality flaws, my ill character traits, blame her because she doted over me since my birth. But I love my mama. Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Go back, if you would, on the screen to that first, those first few words. There is therefore now, what? Say it, church. No condemnation. And the first thing that I do when I read those words, I look at that and I say, no condemnation. Because I look around and I feel a lot of condemnation. I feel that you feel some condemnation. And look, I, I know my thoughts. I know how double-minded they can be. I know how I can go real high and I can go real low. And I know the deep, dark recesses of my own way of thinking. And I can tell you that condemnation can be alive and well. So let's consider a little bit of this juxtaposition of the scripture saying there's therefore no condemnation with this idea that there is condemnation. Now Romans 8 is is a beautiful chapter of the Bible. I I told you about me discovering it at my mentor's request in college. But it's got that great passage in there about, you know, all things work together for good. For those, a lot of you know that, don't you? All things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. It, it asks the question that it, 
if, if we're in Christ, then who can condemn us? It says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation, shall death, shall famine, shall pestilence, shall what, 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 sword, danger, what, what can separate us from the love of God? None of these things, Paul is saying. Romans 8 talks about creation eagerly groaning for, for the next world. Every time the wind blows and every time the, a tectonic plate shifts in the earth's service, when, when, when a volcano erupts, there's just something about the world. It's not just your life and mine. It's not just your body that groans for, for the next world, for everything to be made right. It's creation itself. And I tell you, Romans 8, there's a passage later in there that has meant a lot to me. It says that the Spirit lives in us and that He prays when we cannot pray when we have no words to articulate our prayer, that the Spirit himself groans within us, that, that, that he, he, he prays on our behalf. And hear this introductory remark, there is therefore no more condemnation. But in our world, there is a lot of con- condemnation because there is a reality that I want to talk to you about this morning because there is the voice. There is the voice. Now, I'm not talking about what you watch a few nights a week on NBC with Usher, Blake Shelton, Shakira, and Adam Levine from Maroon 5. All right, that voice you see a few times a week. But there's another voice. Now, we know that Shakira's hips don't lie. But there is a voice in your head that is lying to you. It's the critical inner voice. You know what I'm talking about? There's a psychologist on the front row. He knows what I'm talking about. But there is within you and I a critical inner voice. What is that critical inner voice? That's the nagging, gnawing, haunting, running commentary that you and I live with every day. And I would say thousands of times a day. And that voice, as it runs and criticizes and says things to us, it can, if we're not careful, sabotage our future. Because you see, that inner dialogue determines your destiny. Not sure about that? If you've been in church a while and you say, man, I, he, this guy, I'm, I'm not sure about Fonner, and he sounds like some motivational speaker there. Where do we go just for a second? Proverbs 4 says, as a man thinks, so his life will be. And I'm asking you this morning to consider your critical inner voice that perpetuates lies. Ever had a conversation with somebody and it gets heated or it takes a wrong turn? And you're, you're thinking at that moment, I'm just, that person's not just hearing my voice. That person's hearing those voices. And maybe you're hearing those voices. And I'm telling you, I'm not exempt. I, I, I'm not exempt. And that voice seeks in so many ways to just, to sabotage who we are. Therefore, there is no more No more condemnation. The reality is that we feel the condemnation on a regular, regular basis. Let me ask you, how internal is this voice and what's its its potency? All of us probably in the room, younger, older, familiar with the sort of the fable, the the fairy tale, if you will, the the conjecture that there is voices, but they're on our shoulder, right? There's There's a little angel over here on this shoulder. And there's, uh, there's a devil over here. 
And the angel is saying things that are positive and the devil is saying all those lies. Because remember, the enemy, Satan himself, is not, he doesn't have a red suit and a pitchfork. He's not out there all ubiquitous and, and obvious for us. The scripture says, Jesus says that the enemy is the father of all lies. And he's on this shoulder, right? He's just giving you lie after lie. And to me, that would be easy. That'd be easy if that was the case. You know what I'd do? I'd just, I'd just I'd look at that devil and I'd just flick him off. Double meaning intended. And just get rid of that guy, right? That'd be, that'd be easy. But I, I can't really do that. But let me say this. The battle for us, for you and I, church, it's an inward battle. I have been for a number of years a fan of Charles Spurgeon, if you've read any of his sermons. Look at what Charles Spurgeon has said. Beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies with us. You could say our enemy is enemy. Another great theologian put it this way. I'm losing myself. I'm stuck in the moment. I look only in the mirror. My only opponent. He's got it right. The other day I was in a store here locally and the music was really bad. Now it's got to be bad if you know me because I like all genres of music. I sing out loud. My daughter, stop it, daddy. Stop it, daddy. Stop it, daddy. But I, I love music. I love almost any kind of music. But there was some song about, from some teenage girl singing about taking a selfie or something. Anybody heard this song? It's the worst song on the radio. And another song just as bad, almost as bad, followed that. I was like, I got to get out. These voice, this song, I just, I got to get out of here. But let me ask you, what do you do when you can't leave the store, but you hear the voices? And before Romans chapter 8 is Romans chapter 7. That's good stuff, isn't it? You can't go anywhere else and get that. But in Romans 7, Paul said, this wretched body of death. That Paul was the same man who told Timothy, uh, in terms of sinners, I'm chief among them. Is that false humility? I don't think so. What's this idea? Now, Archaeologists subsequently discovered a city. They unearthed and discovered some ancient ruins in a Palestinian city. And that phrase, body of death, took on new meaning. You see, the vilest of offenders, those who had been guilty of capital, a capital offense, they were taken. Sorry to be gruesome today, but this is history. They were taken. And their form of death, their form of punishment was to be tied face to face chest to chest with a corpse outside the city. Now, how graphic is Paul to say the enemy, it's me and I'm face to face, I'm chest to chest, face to face, body on body, and the enemy is within me. We love to fix things outwardly, don't we? A couple of weeks ago, a handyman came to our house here in Fondren to, to fix some things. I had a really busy week, and, and, and I can't fix anything. <laughs> so he came. I, I learned, by the way, from my dad early on that the best two tool, the only two tools you need around the house is a phone and a checkbook, right? But I watched this guy, and I marveled at how he fixed things. And we love to fix things. Some of you are really good at it. But in our fixing, we go and we look at the outside. And I'm reminding you today 
that the, it's in the heart. Spurgeon and Jay-Z are right in that respect. This body of death, this what kind? This, did you get the adjective? This wretched body of death. Woe is me. Do you know Romans 7? The things that I do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do those things. And I don't know about you, because that's me. It makes me grow to love Romans 8. There is therefore now no more condemnation. I want to ask you this morning, what is that critical inner voice in your life? What, what is it today? I, I want to give you three things quickly that are common among humanity. The first is that critical inner voice is a voice of fear, a voice of, of doom. There's a, a series of commercials on, about direct television. Have you seen these? I don't know if any of you can relate to this. It's sort of over the top. I like over the top stuff. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you blow off steam. When you blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough you are. When people want to see how tough you are, you end up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to direct TV. <laughs> Similarly, when you and I play a scenario of what if, what if? What if I give generously, but I don't have enough to meet our needs? What if I go out of my way to help people, but nobody notices? What if I de- display humility, but nobody gives me any credit? What if, what if I don't get the job? What if I do? What if my alarm doesn't go off? What if it does and I don't hear it? What if I get married and I find out that she's not the right person? What if I get married and she finds out I'm not the right person? What happens if I forget? What happens if I remember? What if, what if, what if? And what if, men and women, is a black hole that will suck your joy and peace and hope as it right into its vortex if you get anywhere near its vicinity? What if... What if? And it's a dangerous game to play. Fear, fear, fear. It's why the most common command in Scripture, do you know it? It's twofold. Do not fear. Trust me. Because there's no more emotion more paralyzing than fear. Nothing immobilizes you more. Nothing debilitates you more than, nothing stops you in its tracks. Nothing makes you not be all God that intended you to be. Nothing like fear. I've preached it a few times over there. I might as well preach it here. First John four eighteen. y'all know I love it. Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love. Cast out fear. In the Greek, that word gives us the rendering of our English word dynamite. God's love, if it's real to you and I, if we experience it, 
If we do what the psalmist says and we taste and see that he is good, then his love does what? It's a dynamite that blows up fear. Now, here's what I've learned, and here's what helps me reconcile this message about the prevalency of the critical inner voice. When Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Listen to what he said. He didn't say that you would never have fears. How many fears have you had today? I feared coming to church today. I feared at one point, would anybody show up? Then I feared maybe too many people would show up because people like new things. Then I, I, I feared, would the microphone work? I feared as I looked out in the parking lot and I prayed over that the fruit of the Spirit would be true in some of your lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That you would be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit on Old Canton Road and the parking lot. I, I have fear after fear and what has brought me great comfort is Paul's telling his young protege Timothy that you will have fears. I think a fearful thought will enter your mind because look, I believe in theology and I believe in neurology. And what the neurologists tell us is that your brain is a multiplex cinema theater playing in your head. And I don't know if your brain thinks as fast as mine, but I have a lot of thoughts every day. And some of those thoughts are fearful thoughts. But what I lay hold of, church, is that God has not given me a spirit of fear. I don't have to capitulate. I don't have to acquiesce to the things that I'm afraid of. If I construct a what-if scenario in my mind... I don't have to give way to that because I'm loved. To illustrate, let me share a hypothetical situation. This is purely abstract about a husband and wife. Don't try to guess who it is. (laughs) But years ago, this husband discovered that his wife loved beauty. She loved flowers. And one day he thought it would be good as he looked across the street from where he worked. There was a grocery store that had flowers and flowers on sale. In fact, the flowers were so cheap and so there that he could just drive by. It really wouldn't cost him much and it wouldn't be inconvenient at all. And she, this wife, loves flowers. He got those flowers and took them home and she was not bowled over. His central motivating thrust is to gain a response from people. So he said to her, you don't seem bowled over. And she was very underwhelmed, and she said back to the husband, she said, well, you know, I know where you got them. You didn't really go out of your way. And I know what you paid for them, because the tag was left on the wrapping paper. (laughs) And that husband said to that wife, that's the beauty of the flower plant. Would Would you have... He said, would you have wanted me to go out of my way to get these flowers? Would you have wanted me to have to inconvenience myself in a busy schedule when you need me here and go out of the way and pay a lot of money to bring you these flowers? Now, what do you guess she answered? She said, what, church? She said, yes. She said, yes, because that's what love does. Love goes out of its way. Love sacrifices. Love costs something. And I love it. I love to baptize people. I love to sit down with you. I love to hear stories of what God is doing in our very midst. And I love it when people just come undone by God's love for them. When they just get overwhelmed because it cost him something. 
because he went way out of his way. In a few minutes, we are going to take communion together. And most of us, I think, will want to remember Calvary. That he who was rich became poor so that you might be made rich. That God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ. Perfect love cast out fear. Real love does, as Bob Goff would say. Love does. Love does what? Love costs. Love sacrifices. And that perfect love cast out fear. Another critical inner voice that we have inside beyond fear is similar. It's condemnation. In condemnation, that critical voice sends us down useless paths and hopeless places. It condemns us and it says, stay on the sidelines. You're not worthy. You're not usable. Condemnation, condemnation. Most of us know the story of blindside, don't we? of a big football player named Michael Orr. Michael Orr grew up one of 13 children from a single mom in Memphis, Tennessee. A mom who was addicted to alcohol, to crack cocaine, and only God knows what else. And the cards, you would say, were stacked against big Michael Orr. In early, his early, there was a stage in terms of his academic a pursuit of education that he went to 11 different schools in a span of nine years. He was caught numerous times foraging for food. His survival was tenuous until he met a couple, Tim McGraw and Sandra Bullock. (laughs) He met this couple at Briarcrest Christian Academy. I know he went to Briarcrest and then he played for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not sure what he did in between, but um, anyway, it's not important, it doesn't matter. But he met Tim McGraw and Sandra Bullock. He met this family and they owned, seriously, they owned a chain of KFCs and Taco Bells. And the movie depicts this real life scenario that the family talked about often that Michael Orr adopted into this wealthy Memphis family that he would, remember they owned those restaurants and he would go to those restaurants and he would take more food. He would eat like a horse daddy, but he would take more food than he, than he needed. He would take it home and he would stash it in the fridge. He had forgotten that, that idea, that hoarding, if you will, that tenacity to grab all you can while you can was born from all of his past of, of scarcity. And now here he is walking in the abundance of a mom and dad who richly loved him. And isn't that, I mean, doesn't that illustrate life itself? And if you continue to read in Romans chapter 8, you'll see that Paul says there's no more condemnation among the chief reasons is because you've been adopted. You've been given a new name. You have a new family. You You have what you need. Fear. Fear is a critical inner voice. And perfect love casts out fear. Condemnation is a critical inner voice of ours. But knowing that we're adopted, knowing that we have a Father who loves us, 
It's the answer. It's the antidote to it. I think another critical voice is envy. Imagine a scenario where a father on a warm spring day, a day, well, like today, who, by the way, prayed for sunny and 70 degrees. Anybody today? Thank you. But a day like today, imagine a scenario where a father, a boy's playing in the backyard and a father calls in that boy and that boy comes in. He scampers into the house to see his dad taking out a half gallon of his favorite ice cream from the freezer. And that father who loves his son scoops up a generous portion into that bowl. Now, let me ask you, how is that? All is well with the world, right? Imagine a different scenario, just slightly different. A father calls in two boys from the backyard. A half-gallon carton of their favorite ice cream comes out of that same freezer, and he scoops that older boy a couple of generous scoops, and he scoops that younger boy one scoop. Now, what's the result? Chaos. I mean, the, the... Cosmic injustice has been committed. Now, we would like to think that as we grow older, we don't care. But there's something in us, and just like that child, you know what's going to happen, right? That child's going to, he's going to exclaim right there, that's not fair. And one of the critical inner voices that many of us deal with is saying the very thing to our Heavenly Father. Deep gratitude can turn into subtle resentment very fast, can it? And some of you today, I'm telling you, God wants you to sit down with your scoop of ice cream and thank God for it. And that critical inner voice is wreaking havoc because you're concerned about somebody nearby that's got two scoops. And envy, envy, Romans 8 has some some great truths about us to realize, hey, we are complete in Christ. We have, we have what we need. In closing, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I think Romans 8, I have learned, is something that ought to be acted on. We need action. Now, we love action. The interesting irony is, as Americans, we love, as moderns, we love to watch action, not live action. We can sit on a couch and order a gourmet pizza while we watch a cooking show. We can watch a, a several hours of a home improvement network and then turn on a leaky faucet. We can watch The Biggest Loser and not get off the lazy boy. But there's something powerful. There's something that happens when the teachings from Christ evokes action in our lives. There's, there's a power there. There's a power when we act upon something. And here's what I'm saying. For some of you today, your passivity is pummeling you. Your inaction, your inability to say, I am gonna, I'm going to do battle with the critical inner voice. I want to replace the lies of the enemies. I can't flick the devil off my shoulder, but I can replace the enemy's lies with God's truth. I love the story about an old man who was a lumberjack. This guy was in his 70s, and he wants to come out of retirement, and he shows up somewhere to cut down some trees. He goes to the foreman and he says, sir, I, I want to come out of retirement. I want to cut down some trees. And this foreman looks at him and says, you're old, you're weak, and you're feeble. You can't cut down trees. 
He said, I'm good, let me show you. They go out back, and he just cuts down a tree, and the guy says, you are fast with a heavy ax. Where did you learn that? The old man said, a long time ago in the Sahara wilderness. And that man, that foreman said, oh, uh, Sahara wilderness, you mean the Sahara desert? And that old man said, yeah, I guess that's what they call it now. (laughs) Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, substitute axe after that sermon illustration. And it will cut deep into the thoughts and intentions of your life and mine. What I want to challenge you with this morning is whose voice do you want to listen to? Man, I'm like you. I'm going to sit down with most of my family and watch the voice this week. But Jesus says that we're like sheep and we need to learn to hear the Father's voice. But to hear that, we got to block it out. Take a look, if you will, real quick on a commercial that just came out, I think, that illustrates this. Over the hill. I'm just not sure all that will click for one big last to rock. You too old to be playing. Get out of my town. Got nothing left. Give me the rebound no more. You're washed up, son. Well, you can tell everybody. And whose voice, whose voice are you going to listen to? Because there's a bunch of mean-spirited, cursing. We played the clean version. Cursing people. But here's, here's what I know. I don't, have to, I don't have to believe what you say about me. But you know what I've noticed? I seem to always believe what I say about me. And that's pretty tough. But there's a higher level to believe what God says about me. To plug in. I should have borrowed those gray beats from my 15-year-old son. But imagine with them, me with them on my ears, plugging into God's words. That's the invitation this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is powerful, and today it confronts, it confronts us inwardly. The enemy is within us, and so often the enemy is, is us, and this wretched body of death that we possess, this, these feelings of condemnation and worthiness, the fear that cripples us and sidelines us, the very envy that robs us of our worship and our gratitude. Lord, these are egg-throwing, mean-spirited, vile voices within us. And so many of us are living with just a pathetic passivity and inaction. Lord, you want us to lean in and you want us to listen and you want us to block out the, the noise around us. And God, I'm grateful today. Lord, we want today to be good news, the good news of the gospel that, Lord, you say to us that we are adopted. 
You say to us, who and what shall separate us from the love of Christ? There is therefore no more condemnation. Lord, speak your grace into people. And Lord, I thank you that your love, Lord, it's presented to us. And thank you for this opportunity for most of us in this room to worship you through remembering the sacrifice. You went way out of your way. Heaven came to earth in the smallest, most humble way and demonstrated to us the greatest sacrifice that our minds could ever conceive. And Lord, that love can get in us. It can impact us like nothing else. Help us today to to substitute our guilt for your grace and to walk in the freedom that Jesus gives us. In you we pray.